0: Welcome to the RSP cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Lori Fitzpatrick and I will be back in two weeks to discuss the NFL. I'm busy putting together a November's newsletter for pre-draft, post-draft subscribers to the RSP and November's update for subscribers to the Dynasty Rankings and Projection Service. Um, so this week, I'm going to do a little bit of a solo cast on Tua Tonga vailoa Mike McDaniels, and quarterback, performance, and management of players. But first, I want to let people know that I'm also going to be opening the 2023 Rookie Scouting Portfolio pre-draft, post-draft for pre-order at an early bird discount of 1995, beginning Thursday, December 1st at mattwaldman.com. Or of course, you can go to mattwaldmanrsp.com and you can also um, you find out more about it there. Now, I know most of my repeat subscribers prefer to wait until this discount period is over so they can pay full price. Because they know and appreciate how much of a value it already is at $21.95. And I appreciate all of you who make this a point to do so. But at the same time, if you're new to the podcast or you've been on the fence about getting the RSP pre-draft and post-draft publication... Brothers and sisters, now's the time to do it. Like anyone else scouting talent, look, I have my misses and lessons learned, but there aren't many in this industry who can say the following. That my draft guide is among the most to purchased, two most purchased for cross-checking resources by NFL scouts, according to recruiting directors like SMU's Alex Brown, who meets with NFL personal evaluators weekly as a part of his job. Not many can say that they're in their 18th year of publication. The RSP is entering its 18th year. That's right. It's legal now. (laughs) My evaluation process differs from the NFL's and it's rooted in best practices for evaluating performance, part of a certification process that my former C-suite sent me to attain as an operations and quality director. Now, according to high-level consultants that I know, one who has been a subscriber since 2007 and has multiple graduate degrees and multiple years of playing, scouting, and analytics cons- um, consulting work at the highest levels of football, he says the RSP's process, at least during the time that we were having these conversations for the first five or six years that he's been a, a subscriber, was light years ahead of the NFL's. and at least from what we've talked about recently, he still says it's pretty far ahead. And this process has allowed me to continuously learn the craft of scouting football. And it has helped me remain firm on higher grades on players than the herd of teams and media. Players like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Nick Chubb, Isaiah Pacheco, A.J. Brown, Chris Olave, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Travis Kelsey, Dalvin Cook, to a tongue of Iloa, Aaron Jones. And it's not just guys that I've had higher grades on who've been successful. This process has also helped me remain firm on lower grades on players than the Hurt guys like Darren McFadden or Felix Jones or Zach Wilson, Baker Mayfield, Clyde Edwards Alaire, Andre Williams. Remember Andre Williams, Nile Davis, Drew Locke, Paxton Lynch, Kenny Galladay. So I've done consulting also. And that's something else that, you know, not many can say. I've done consulting on quarterbacks in the past, including recently with a nationally known quarterback coach. Last year, I provided scouting reports on a client for that coach who sought me out and a very popular and skilled YouTube quarterback analyst who's played in this league. And I think you can guess who that is. Now, after this coach met with his client and watched the film with this NFL player, he shared this feedback with me. He said, for me... It's all about perspective and seeing what the player thinks their perspective is on how they've played. You have the bank of athletes that you've worked at with. It's helpful to hear opinions, to reinforce strategies and training that's actually, um, and he says it's actually impressive how accurate you are on certain statements. And he went into into detail to tell me that some of the things I said in writing came out of the player's mouth nearly word for word when they were describing when he was describing his thought process when they were watching film and talking about a decision that was made and he said it was eerie so listen with the RSP you get the most comprehensive look at skill positions at quarterback, running back, wide receiver and tight end that's available to the general public. What you get for download on April 1st is a PDF it's fully bookmarked and it contains information that my scri- subscribers have learned it has evergreen value and even more valuable than the post-draft that is usually in high demand by my new customers. What you get are rankings and cheat sheet and prose formats. You get detailed profiles breaking down all the criteria I use to scout each position. Um, I guide you through my defined and weighted criteria so you gain an entertaining understanding of my evaluation process. And how the pieces make the whole of each scouting report. There's also analysis with recent draft trends at each position. And what I think is changing with how the league assesses these positions. I give you a range of stylistic comparisons for each prospect. And there's a minimum of 150 prospects profiled in the pre-draft report. That's available April 1st. The rankings also include my past three years of classes. And I update them multiple times throughout the season. Now, the post-draft guide that's also part of the purchase is available no later a week than a week after the NFL draft. And it delivers great fantasy analysis rooted in the football scouting that I did in the pre-draft publication. You get ADP tracking from multiple leagues. You get updated rankings and a tiered cheat sheet that has a sweet spot value that I determined that works between the valuation of the player that I came up with pre-draft and then how I update it post-draft, the difference between that and what the ADP is, the average ADP is in leagues that I monitor after the NFL draft. So, for instance, if I liked Nick Chubb better than anybody else and he was my number one player overall in that class or Patrick Mahomes, who was my number one overall player in that class and say you knew that... Uh, that you would be able to get them in the second round or the mid-second round or the third round, then I gave you a sweet spot that allowed you to know where you could take them and get good value, but guaranteed that you were still gonna get them. Um, In addition to that, you get fit analysis um, in terms of where I think these players fit with their teams, depth chart analysis that incorporates all the veterans that have one, and I'd show you whether they have one to two years left on their deals, how I see their playing time sorted out relative to incoming rookies and free agents, and you also get a monthly newsletter with scouting reports and analysis of current and future prospects. That's what you get for $19.95 during the early bird period that will have some an expiration date at some point in December. I'll announce that as well. Um, and then after that early bird period, the price will revert to $21.95. You could still pre-order it. What basically happens is that you create a login and a password at my site mattwaldman.com you pay the amount by paypal and then when it is available for download i email you i have you on the email list and then you would log in to the site give your email give your login and password and then you'll have the pdfs available for download and of course if you have any questions i usually respond within 24 hours at mountwaldmanrsp.com. Now, most of my readers, they tell me to charge more. And many tell me that they would pay twice as much for all of this information. And you're going to get the what and the why with this at a level where you're going to learn something about the game and and scouting football. And be ahead of the curve in your fantasy leagues, redraft and dynasty formats alike. Now, last but not least, I donate a portion of proceeds from the RSP pre-draft, post-draft. To darkness, to light. I've been doing this since 2012 and have donated over $55,000 during this span of time. Sexual abuse of children is an important problem that's hard for people to talk about, but this organization trains individuals, organizations, and communities on how to protect children from abuse, as well as how to handle it when it's unfortunately um, occurs and it's reported so that we don't double down on the trauma that it can create for children when it happens to them and then when they report it and individuals and organizations don't respond appropriately. So listen do yourself a favor pre-order the RSP when I announce it available for early bird purchase this week. It keeps my operation flowing throughout the year and even if you think of buying it because it's Somehow a great thank you to the work that I do on podcasts, social media, and YouTube. Listen, I'll take that because I know once you see the first RSP you've purchased, you will be pleasantly shocked at how deep I go and how much you wished you had bought this years earlier. I get told this every year. And I know I've spent a ton of time on this podcast relative to what I usually do hyping up the rookie scouting portfolio but it's the best thing I do in this space and I know in this current era of our culture there's a lot of over promising and under delivering and I can tell you based on my readers what they tell me most of them stay long-term subscribers because they know I'm under promising even as I'm hyping this up and over delivering so check it out so I appreciate you listening to that um, it is important to the business that I do, but let's talk some football. And for the rest of the show, what I want to discuss is the recent news about Mike McDaniel and Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, it was refreshing to hear what we already suspected and what was long discussed here at the Cast that quarterback is a performance position And that performers must have confidence. Confidence is an essential part of playing the quarterback position. And, you know, when you have it, you can stretch your game a little beyond your perceived limitations. You lose it, and even the simple things feel off. And quarterbacks, as I've said a lot, are a lot like musicians, especially jazz or improvisational musicians. It's something I, retain, I emphasize routinely. Performers have to attain, sustain, and refine their physical techniques with their instrument, whether that's their body or a physical instrument. They have to learn enough theory and concepts to work with others and recognize things happening in the moment. And they have to have played enough in live action, whether it's concerts, or games, they have to have played enough to integrate these physical, technical, and conceptual skills into compelling performances that transcend what they're actually practicing. And this final part I just brought up is the essence of what we call processing speed. As former Vikings GM Rick Spielman said last spring before the NFL draft, teams have only recently begun to value processing speed at a level of exploring how to identify and value it. They're learning that the closer a player begins his work in the middle of the field, the higher the demand for processing speed. So if you're a quarterback who isn't comfortable with his offense or the offense doesn't maximize your strengths while also asking you to perform to your weakest points, and it's being communicated directly and indirectly to you um, that you're not really valued, it's going to inflict havoc on how well you perform on the field. Your mind's going to be second-guessing a lot that you otherwise wouldn't. I mean, again, it's one thing to be a late-round pick with few expectations. I mean, if you were Tom Brady, you're drafted in the sixth round or the fifth round. I don't remember which one. I think it was the sixth round. You're drafted that late you may have a fire burning inside of you and look, all the credit in the world for Tom Brady to be able to, to prove how good he was, but nobody was expecting him to be the franchise player. So that's different, completely different, than being a high-round pick that's considered a disappointment or performing below expectation. Or you're a high-round pick and you're being told one thing and then shown another, and if you've you know if you've worked in the world long enough, or you've been in relationships that haven't been functional, you know that passive-aggressive behavior is a killer, especially when it comes from leadership. It's not surprising to hear that Tuataga had a crisis of confidence until this year. I mean, it's shocking to hear him say it to the national meeting media, but it's also refreshing because it confirms. Well, I've been detailing about the emotional side of the game that influences performance for years. In many ways, the potential for dysfunction that can derail employee is just like every other work environment. The dollars may be higher, the pressure may be greater, and the intention may be overwhelming. I mean, of course, fame magnifies the good and bad. So, the fact that Mike McDaniel could transcend... His old school behaviors that he learned around him doesn't mean that he had old school behaviors. Maybe the best way to state it is that he could transcend the old school behaviors around him as he was ascending the coaching ranks, observing other coaches and their established and ingrained behaviors. He could transcend it and implement an approach that focused on helping Tonga Vailoa play to his strengths and regain his confidence. This is a fantastic development for the NFL, even if no other teams follow suit, because eventually somebody will. And it will be a lesson learned by somebody, even if we wish it was learned across the board. This is a lesson in management that I've been talking about in various ways over the years. Uh, most recently, Russ Landy and I had talked two weeks ago about this when we touched on the idea that coaches and managers who often say they want a specific type of performer to lead their team. But they don't know how to manage that performer. And what ends up happening is that they wind up trying to plug the player into the wrong system and force him to be something that he's not. Just so that that player can prove he can do things that either A, he really doesn't do well. B, he doesn't need to do to win even though the coach has a mistaken idea that this is the case. And, or C, satisfy the coach and manager's sense of order and structure. But it often comes at the cost of limiting that player's ability to make organizational changing contributions for his team. So most coaches, like most managers, are task-oriented individuals. I mean, think about it. They began on the ground floor, and they build every skill they have with a prescribed method. I mean, they were taught by people who came before them. Everything on the lower levels is about finishing tasks. It's not about revamping things, reinventing the wheel. It's just about doing the job. So they became competent at tasks and then earned promotions for their efficiency with those tasks. However, there's a point where you can get promoted up the ladder to where now you have to have job now you're starting to get into the realm of jobs where you have to have not only leadership experience that you can have as a task oriented manager, but also strategic thinking that can transcend tasks um, so that therefore you can actually become more productive, create new ideas or ways of doing things, give people freedom, to become even more productive. But the problem is, is that if you stay a task-oriented individual in an environment where your job now needs you to be strategic, you can handcuff progress. And there's a point of diminishing returns with task-oriented behaviors. I've managed some great task-oriented managers on a day-to-day, but they were never going to ascend beyond the role that they had without developing some level of strategic management, strategic thinking, strategic leadership, understanding where to where to value how to value people and which and which people may be worthwhile to be able to develop a little bit more, where to overlook certain things for the benefit of the entire group where you can emphasize other strengths and shore up their weaknesses in other ways that doesn't hurt the whole, but helps the whole more than it hurts it by making these slight slight tweaks. And see, in football, when you force a talented player to sublimate his talents for the system, that's where your task-oriented nature can go too far. Uh, Now, what I'm talking about is different than forcing a talented player to do the disciplined work and routine that ensures they understand the system and how to communicate effectively with teammates and be productive in situations where everyone has to be coordinated together that's task oriented work at its finest it's being um, keen on the details understanding the details and being able to perform when you need to as part of a team the problem with this is that coaches don't always see the difference where um, they wind up loading down a player with details that can cap their opportunities to produce well beyond what the system would otherwise net for instance maybe not allowing defenders to take certain chances or quarterbacks and wide receivers to to change up routes or audible in certain situations where they're really skilled at being able to recognize these scenarios but you Want them to stay on, you know, on task with a play that doesn't even work, and you've got guys who are experienced at being able to change the game plan, of, you know, with a tweak on a play here and there, where they, they they clearly diagnose everything correctly. They're clearly seeing and understanding what the defense is trying to do, and you won't let them make the pre snap or post snap adjustments, you know, and you are asking the play very strictly to what your offense says. And when that happens, you wind up with players who just aren't going to be as productive as they could be. So now at the same time, you can also go too far on the strategic end of the spectrum. You could be completely strategic to the point of creating and recreating on the spot without regard to a structure that keeps teams on the same page and limits careless breakdowns and lapses that could have been avoided. So when you lack a balance between strategic and task oriented management it both types of management that has those that are imbalanced, creates errors that can hurt a team. So when you're not honoring the strategic thinking, you produce more fatal errors that many people won't notice when you go too far down the road of task oriented behavior, you know, task oriented behavior because they see the day to day working out smoothly all the little tasks being completed they think everything's fine even if the the numbers aren't there well it eventually will get there Our, we're gonna eventually get there because we're doing the right things and the problem is is that you can seduce yourself into thinking that and think everything is fine until you or your organization begins to realize that you've missed on game changing opportunities and at best you've been mediocre while driving away or killing the strengths of your personnel who could have gotten you far greater success if you had just recognized situations where you could have toned down certain types of tasks that weren't that essential for the benefit of giving them time and opportunity to create situations or winning game plans that would have changed the nature of your team. Now, if you don't honor the task-oriented behavior, this leads to really careless errors, boom-bust performances, or a lot of small errors that can add up to equal, to, add up to be on the equal, equal level of big errors. When you think about the Oakland Raiders and the Los Angeles Raiders of the past, you could say that they were a strategically run organization in the 70s and 80s that had a lot of task- oriented errors, a lot of penalties, but they had game changing plays because they brought on veterans and they let the veterans use their brains to see beyond the tasks at hand and know when to change things and make adjustments. And their strategic behavior often allowed them to transcend some of the small errors for huge game changing moments. That led the Raiders to be one of the better teams of that of those two decades. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, the 49ers were a task-oriented offense. Um, you know, when you think about the West Coast offense, that might be one of the most um, task-oriented offenses that we'll ever see because of all the details. But the 49ers were strategic with identifying personnel who fit perfectly into the scheme so that they could transcend it. We talked about this. Russ Landy and I, when we talked about Jerry Rice and the type of receivers they wanted to get, or when they taped the coaches and how they coached players in the meeting rooms and that Bill Walsh watched these tapes and determined that that they, they had to know what type of players they needed to draft in order to fit the coaching style of what they were going to do, as opposed to trying to just plug players in who might not fit. So they... They did a good job with both task and strategic fit. They just balanced it in a different way. You could say that the New England Patriots have an excellent balance between task-oriented and strategic management. They're strategic with adjustments and game plans, as well as identifying defenders who can be versatile and know when and how to create in and outside the structure of the defense. Now at the same time the Patriots are very task oriented with details to make sure that the team's disciplined with their approach to learning and executing game plans because they use different game plans or different types of defenses with a greater level of versatility that you know for them to be able to do that they need to make sure that the, the players that they bring in are very task oriented about how they go about preparing. Now Bill Parcells he was a strategic coach, and he recognized the value of hiring coaches with strong task-oriented skills. Think of Bill Belichick, who you know, was a very task-oriented defensive coordinator. Very, He had a strategic mind for the game, but also was a stickler for detail. Now, Parcells could see beyond the trees, and that often meant telling Bill Belichick to chill out when a player like Lawrence Taylor wasn't really doing the – The detailed professional things that you would expect from the average player, you know, arriving on time, not falling asleep during meetings, not kind of talking back and talking trash and being somewhat disruptive on a certain level, you know, and not taking certain seemingly not taking things seriously because Parcells could see beyond what beyond Taylor's behavior and understood that Taylor was going to be ultra prepared that he had a great mind for football and he was a great athlete who could really integrate all of his skills at the highest level and make game-changing plays. And so part of that was helping to be the buffer between Belichick and, and Taylor so that Belichick could eventually learn how to do his job but not um, clash with Taylor to the point that he was going to basically you know, limit Taylor from being the best player that he could be so you know there's always some friction there with maintaining that balance or not always but there can be some friction with trying to maintain that balance and and good leaders know how to maintain that and you know this is common at the college level when you think about um, college coaches a lot of them are learning new positions while they're coaching that position you know ryan riddle my buddy you know who wrote at the bleacher report and who, you know, former defensive end for Cal, that was, is I think he's still their season single season sack record holder, played with Aaron Rodgers, played with Mar- Marshawn Lynch, played in the NFL for multiple teams. His story is a good example of task-oriented versus strategic management because he talked to me about how when he was at Cal early on, they had a, recruited a really good defensive front, and he was part of that defensive front. But the defensive line coach I don't remember what position he was, but I have the impression that he was a wide receiver. He was never a defensive lineman. And this was his first gig coaching defensive line. So he had learned most everything that he knew about defensive line from coaching books and coaching clinics and things on paper or on, at that time. you know So he really didn't have the higher and strategic feel. For how to play the position and the players that they had recruited did ryan and a couple of his teammates were very good at understanding when they needed to take some chances and deviate from what the scheme was asking them to do and ryan would tell me all the time he said that you know the best players know when to deviate and be a little more creative they they they're going to take some chances. They they get good at knowing when to take those chances and push their limits and when not to. And you see this with a lot of players. And when we see NFL players being celebrated for big plays, oftentimes we'll find out years later that that wasn't even the called play. That the defensive end noticed something about what the guard or the tackle was doing or what the quarterback was doing. And made a last second change that changed the comp- complexion of the game, and maybe the, even the complexion of the league as a result. Well, Ryan and his guys were not given the freedom to make some of these changes and make these adjustments that they would make or take some of the chances early on. And they weren't playing all that well, and not as well as they could have. And Ryan, had, who I've always admired for being just a really straightforward guy, very honest person, very well-meaning, but maybe even, you know, I would describe is that people may perceive him as being honest to a fault in the way that he would ask questions that, you know, socially, some people would be a little bit more, um, I call it an innocence, but it's, you know, where they would, they, they've learned to kind of play the game a little bit more. And Ryan's more of a look, let me ask the question. If you don't like it, then you tell me why. And we, we work through, you know, we work through it. I I mean, well, so he talked to his coach and asked the coach why. And the coach was like, well, this is the scheme. This is what I want you to do. And finally, Ryan had the conversation with this coach and said, listen, you have a bunch of guys here who can play a lot better if you allow us to do what we know how to do. And I know that you want us to stick to this scheme, but Can you allow us some freedom to work within it and to make some adjustments? And finally, the coach relented and said, listen, you know, yeah, go ahead. But if you guys screw up one too many times, then we're going to curtail all of this. And you're just going to do everything by the book. And that's often what happens with task oriented um, management is that they've learned one way they don't know the other ways they're afraid of how to manage it because it's going to look out of control and they don't know how to um they don't know how to get a feel for what these other what their employees actually know and what and to be able to manage it in a manner that's going to keep that equilibrium between creativity and structure but Ryan and his and his teammates promised and they ended up becoming one of the better defenses in Cal's history. And like I said, he went on to be a single season sack leader and and their defense was one of the strengths of that um, nationally ranked team. Um, It's a very good example of this type of behavior. David Agono, who wrote for me at the RSP for years, former um, safety at West Virginia. um, And David talked about that The same thing was true with him that at multiple levels of college ball, a lot of times the position coaches he had really didn't understand the position on that strategic of a level. They understood the tasks. They understood game plan. They understood basic techniques, but they really didn't understand how it all fit together because really a lot of what college and pro football is about is executing the game plan. They, you know, they, and having basic skills, sure, with the techniques of the game, but really those things have to come. Oftentimes players learn them through veteran leadership or individual positional coaches. So when, you know, circling back and when we think about Tua Tungabailoa and Mike McDaniel, you know, Mike McDaniel recognized that Tungabailoa has great anticipation. That he has terrific pass placement, that he was uh, good throwing the ball with accuracy on the move, and that you could roll him in either direction. That he had a strong play action game, and if you look at Tonga Vailoa, and you you know you could say, well, you know, listen, he has he has Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill. How much harder can it be? I mean, he might as well be the equivalent of Jared Goff. Jared Goff was a Pro Bowler with the L.A. Rams, and You know jared goff when when that team started to dissipate so did he well there's a little difference here number one while the miami dolphins offensive line is playing better and jeff wilson does look good raheem mostert does look good neither of them and this line either would not be confused with todd gurley in his prime or that offensive line in its prime so let's you know Let's give Tua to Tonga vailoa a little bit of credit here. He does deserve the credit because again, if this if this this was a Jared Goff situation, I think we would have seen a lot more from Teddy Bridgewater. I think we would have seen you know, we might see more from Skylar Thompson, but I think a veteran like Bridgewater, if if it was really too it wasn't all that good, Bridgewater would have probably been stiffer competition for Tonga Vailoa. And we saw that that wasn't remotely the case. Tonga Vailoa has played great football um, this year. And, you know, the the fact that McDaniel understood what would work well for him and got the best possible players for him to create those advantages and maximize his skills, that's credit to the coach. It's also credit to what recognizing... What his player does really well. And, you know, maybe when Tyree Kill said that, you know, some complimentary things about Tongue and compared them favorably to Mahomes, maybe he, you know, maybe what he was saying wasn't just, you know, teammate new teammate oriented buzz. I'll put it that way. And I and you know that I'm a big Patrick Mahomes fan, but Tungvaloa was my number one-ranked quarterback pre-draft, just barely above Joe Burrow. Just so close that, you know, it depends on the on the system and the fit who I would have wanted to take first overall. But some of that had to do with Vailoa's injury history. If the injury wasn't an issue, he might have been a, more, a little more clear-cut unless you were looking at him being in the worst possible system for his fit, like Miami under Coach Flores, or versus Burrow and with the players and system that he had with Taylor and all those weapons around him for the past couple of years. But now that talking by has excellent receivers and a coach who seems to understand how to strategically coach offenses as opposed to a defensive oriented coach who apparently was not in his element um, in terms of recognizing how to strategically use Tuatonga Valoa, now you see the difference there, and I think it's important to be able to touch upon all that. So, thanks again for listening to the RSP cast. I'm always appreciative of the feedback that I get, and seeing that you know that you guys enjoy the work that I do, also along with Lori and Russ and Felix Sharp, and of course Adam Harstead, and uh, you know. Check out the rookie scouting portfolio pre-draft, post-draft publication. It's going to be available for 1995 at mattwaldmanrsp.com, beginning December 1st for early bird, and then eventually I'll announce when that early bird period is over, and it'll be available for 2195 after that, um, and be available for download on April 1st um, as usual for its 18th year. That's right, the RSP is old. Is basically through grade school, and it's senior year of high school, essentially. So it's the last one, maybe, out of my house in terms of the of the kids of mine, um, and probably the one that's been the most work intensive by far. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that said, um, you know, I'm glad that you guys enjoy it. Please check it out if you've been on the fence. Uh, I'm telling you, you'll you'll enjoy the deep look into these players. You'll find multiple years of value. You will be pleasantly shocked. Thanks. Have a good week.